0: Hi again, everybody, I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The second time around. Edition, as we get you set for week two of the preseason as the Bengals head to New Jersey on Sunday night to take on the New York Giants. Coming up, you'll hear from two rookies who did well in their preseason debuts, wide receiver Kendrick Pryor and offensive lineman Desmond Noel out of Coleraine High School. Robert Weintraub from Football Outsiders and Cincinnati Magazine joins me to discuss the upcoming season, and I'll chat about the latest training camp developments with Bengals.com editor Jeff Hobson. The Bengals Booth podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder... That you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing. Wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since... Great TV shows. Better Call Saul aired its 63rd and final episode over six seasons on Monday. And I don't want to spoil anything in case you haven't watched it. But I found the ending to be graceful and satisfying. Breaking Bad remains my all-time favorite TV drama, but Better Call Saul cracked the top five with The Wire, The Sopranos, and Mad Men. Game of Thrones got bumped off the list. But now, I need something new. If you have any suggestions, feel free to tweet them my way at Dan underscore Horde. Now, let's get to football. One of the standouts in the Bengals' preseason opener last Friday was undrafted rookie receiver Kendrick Pryor. Now Plitt fakes an inside handoff. Guns a throw downfield. Kendrick Pryor oh, wow. with a one-handed left-handed catch. Nice. Did he get it? Yes, he did. Pryor finished with four catches for 89 yards and a touchdown. At Wisconsin, with its heavy emphasis on the run, he never had more than 72 receiving yards in a game. I talked to Kendrick about his eye-opening debut when the Bengals returned to practice on Sunday. I assume you have now seen the footage of your falling over backward, one-handed, left-handed catch. What do you
1: think? Um, I think it was a pretty good catch. Um, on my end, though, I should have, since it was cover two, faded more to the sideline so it wouldn't have to have been as much of a tough catch as it was. But just happy I got the got the outcome happy that coach challenged it happy that i knew it was personally i knew it was a catch i called the road over half possession but i know next time just got to make sure i keep that possession all the way until i get up so don't give them a chance to (laughs) try to overturn the call well you are
0: clearly your own toughest critic if you describe that as pretty good and that you should have run the route a little bit differently or better
1: oh you know just can't be satisfied you know just always trying to find ways to get better you know just don't want to be that guy that has the one good game and then doesn't show up the this week in practice or next week in the, the next game and the game after that or the following week so it just kind of figuring out what I need to do better to perfect my craft and just keep on continue to work on things that can help me get better
0: four catches 80 plus yards and a touchdown in your first NFL preseason game did that go about as well as you could have hoped
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, just wanted to go out there. feel like I could have had a more, couple more yards, couple more catches in there. But, you know, just always going back, looking at that film, seeing, well, okay, this is what I did last game. Let's try not to make those mistakes or just do the same thing and try to get better each week. But definitely something I was very proud of, like you said, first game to have those stats. But, you know, we got to continue to get better.
0: We're chatting with Kendrick Pryor. It seems to me from watching these practices that you have been getting better and better and more comfortable almost by the day over the last week or two. Is that how you feel about it?
1: Oh, yeah, it's definitely just things slowing down, you know, just getting more comfortable with the playbook where I'm not thinking as much. And I am actually can now just go out there and play football and just showcase what I can do on the field. So, yeah, every day has just been Slowing, things have been slowing down for me. I mean, you know, it's still some definitely some stuff areas I can improve on, things I can work on. But I feel like that's just going to come more and more with time, you know, just seeing how things work, getting the flow of the game, and then just, you know, watching film, talking to the coach after the game, just, you know, making those corrections. So it's just, like I said, just getting more comfortable with things starting to slow down where I'm not thinking as much anymore, or now I'm just kind of playing football.
0: How did yesterday feel? The day after a performance like that in your debut, I'm sure you're getting a lot of messages and so forth. How did that feel to you?
1: Oh, it felt good, you know, kind of like when I got in the car with my parents. after like, you don't seem too happy. I'm like, oh, no, I am definitely happy with that. Kind of when they get out the car, like like you said, I'm kind of my toughest critic, so just always trying to find ways to get better. But like, once I kind of drive my parents off, like driving back to the hotel, like that's kind of when it set in really just like, oh, like, first game I did pretty good for myself. and just trying to continue to build off that. But definitely very happy for how I did for my first game, so.
0: It's a good building block. Does it give you a little bit of added confidence going into the second game next week?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely a confidence just to show that, okay, like, I can make those plays. I belong here, and it just... Like you said, giving me that extra boost of confidence talking to, like I said, a couple of my friends just sending me text messages before the game, you know, just not not trying to overcomplicate or overthink it yet. Yeah, first NFL game, yes, the NFL. Definitely want to take that moment in, you know, because not a lot of people get that opportunity. But, you know, trying not to make it bigger than what it is, you know, still the same game I've been playing since I was younger. So it's just realizing getting those texts and then just going out there and having the performance that I had just definitely a confidence booster. So, it'll kind of make things even feel a little more comfortable for me and things feel better next week. It's a great start. Congrats. Best of luck next week. Appreciate it. Kendrick was
0: not the only undrafted rookie who performed well. Offensive lineman Desmond Noel out of Colerain High School was the Bengals' highest graded pass blocker, according to Pro Football Focus. I'll get to him in just a bit. But first, I caught up this week with a guest who has appeared on this podcast before Robert Weintraub who covers the NFL for Football Outsiders and writes about the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine. All right, Robert, the Bengals were less than two minutes away from winning the Super Bowl. They addressed their obvious weakness, the offensive line, but my handy-dandy Football Outsiders almanac projects Cincinnati to have the seventh-highest win total
2: in the AFC. Explain why. Wow, it makes it sound like that's a bad thing. I mean, remember, we only... won six games, and I use the Royal Wii in this case, uh, six games in two years. Seventh best record in the AFC would have sounded pretty good, uh, you know, maybe before the calendar flipped to January 2022. I feel like the uh, expectations definitely got a turbo boost from that last month, obviously, and into the Super Bowl, as as it should. Um, Basically, you have to remember, A, Football Outsiders, our main stat, DVOA, which essentially measures down by – down efficiency, as we both know, the Bengals were uh, more of a boomer bust team at, at large parts of the season last year. As such, their DVOA DBO, was not especially high, especially for a team that went to the Super Bowl. You would think it would be much higher, so it was lower. They have that base DVOA projection system that you reference, essentially plays out the season one million times. Uh, no lasers, no sharks outfitted with lasers <laughs> involved. However, uh, we do play it out. That many times, and you know they didn't have a huge DVOA as I say to build upon, and the projection system likes to see it more than once. I remember we talked, you know, a year ago, and the Browns were going to the Super Bowl, and the Steelers were going to be in the you know four and thirteen team, and our numbers spoke otherwise, and everybody's like, why is doing this? Why? How can you say that? And it's like, well, you know. It takes more than just one season, essentially, to uh, to convince our numbers we're going to do that. Still, seventh is good. And you have to remember also that it's really at the margins where the Bengals have improved. According to our system, they've doubled their likelihood of winning 12 or more games, cut their chances of winning five or fewer games in half. So that's where you really look to see where the improvements lie. Listen, as we all know, and as the Bengals proved last season, anything can happen. Everything can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that they were saying they're definitely the seventh best team. What does that even really mean? Is the Sean Watson going to play six games? Is he going to play 12 games? Is he going to play at all? Will he never play again? Fingers crossed. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's that kind of thing. Who? Know, it, that's just, you know, an example right small. Uh, you know, the injury history that we know, the Bengals were pretty fortunate last year. These things can change on a dime. The Ravens were the exact opposite. Their whole team was wiped out by an injury tsunami. If they're back and being healthy, things look different. Those are just two examples of, of a million. Uh, the idea that we're definitely saying the Bengals are the seventh best team in the AFC isn't necessarily what you should take from it. We should what you should take is that they're a contender. They've launched themselves out of the bottom of the dregs of the league where they stayed for a couple of years, and have put themselves into a you know a solid playoff type team. Now it's just you know what are the what are the small bits going to be to either launch them back to the Super Bowl, or We won't even go there, but let's talk about uh, something else. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm getting at?
0: Robert Weintraub is our guest from Football Outsiders and from Cincinnati Magazine. Had you asked me before I picked up the Football Outsiders Almanac, if Joe Burrow was good in the red zone last year, I would have said, absolutely. And I (laughs) would have been very wrong, as it turns out. Can you explain the room for growth there for a guy who otherwise is so terrific?
2: Yeah, he was actually, based on our numbers, in the red zone. And again, remember, our numbers don't factor in all things when it comes to uh, the passing game, but it does factor in sacks, which a lot of uh, numbers that you see that Love Burrow do not. Uh, he was the second-to-worst quarterback in the red zone uh, of all qualifying quarterbacks. Only Trevor Lawrence was worse. I think we can all close our eyes and picture the Denzel Ward 99-yard interception. He had a couple other goal line uh, picks, but it isn't really so much those highlight plays as it was just, again, the down-to-down consistency where the Bengals, you know, we, we all remember the huge plays, the bombs to Chase, the bombs to Higgins, uh, big plays even to Uzama over the, over the course of the season. But when they got down deep, didn't nearly match that kind of efficiency that they need to uh, have to turn, you know, what are otherwise field goal drives, and thank God for Evan McPherson, into touchdown drives. Those four-point plays so to speak, four-point drives when they got down deep really spelled the difference in a lot of close games. And that's definitely a place where I think Zach Taylor and, and Joe and the entire offensive unit, I'm sure they have, spent a great deal of time this offseason looking for plays that worked, heightening the efficiency and not just relying on, you know, Jamar getting open and, you know, the meme, throw it to him regardless of whether he's open. Uh, they need to, you know, up their efficiency level down deep to a much higher capacity, and if they do, boy, the offense really has room to grow.
0: As you referenced, the Bengals were fortunate where injuries were concerned last year. That's undeniable, and I think the stat exists, whether it's in Football Outsiders or elsewhere, that demonstrated that the difference between their injuries and their opponents' injuries was number one in the NFL. Is that the biggest area where the Bengals were, quote-unquote, lucky is there a way to quantify that uh, from the various data the football outsiders has
2: uh, you know calling it the biggest area it's definitely up there uh, and it's definitely something that <laughs> the Bengals are not used to being in that position that's for sure um, and it does have a what we call a plexiglass principle where one ha- where it happens one year tends to bounce back the next year that doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, they're going to lose Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase for sizable chunks of time. You have to remember, we do weight the injuries, and guys who play more snaps, it's a snap-weighted system, so the guys who play more snaps when they get hurt, that goes into the, into the uh, algorithm and is weighted. You know, the Bengals have also had years when they've had a lot of issues because their depth was a concern. They had injuries throughout, I think back, Back to this 2020 uh, 2020, and when they had that huge run of injuries in the defensive secondary, that really cost them a lot. They wound up playing guys who should never have played. And you know, Burrow got all the attention when he went down, but really that cost them a lot of games as well. The fact they didn't have that kind of depth of good players to come in and take over for guys who were nicked and or out for the season, God forbid. It's really uh, the kind of thing where it's very difficult to predict. That was obviously a huge factor in what the Bengals did last year but at the same time again according to our numbers it's not like they were at the top of the pyramid uh you know they had some guys injured and there was definitely a room to grow in that sense too so they can absorb a couple more injuries this year improve the team anyway and still be in a good position I think a lot of fans are sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop you know obviously we're not talking, even talking about Joe Burrow but if any of the top five or eight players go down that's a that's cause for alarm. But it's really when you have a, a team-wide run of injuries like Baltimore had last year, that's when it really gets to a point where it affects your team and the win-loss record. Otherwise, shouldn't be something that keep fans up at night.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Baltimore because you wrote the Bengals chapter in this year's Football Outsiders Almanac. You also wrote the Ravens chapter. And I didn't realize until reading what you wrote about Baltimore that the Ravens truly had a historically – bad season when it comes to injuries we all knew it was bad i didn't realize this was like nfl history bad
2: right the worst since we've been doing it uh since we put together that adjusted games lost stat uh and i didn't really realize it either until we ran the numbers and it came out that way and again it's not just because of the guys you can think of off the top of your head who got hurt marcus peters and jk dobbins and a couple other other quote-unquote star players but it was really the sort of team-wide, and also not just for the entire season, but guys missing a month here. Rashad Bateman missed the first half of the season. Obviously, Lamar Jackson went down near the end of the season, but still counts. And the more these uh, guys, you know, had played before, that also affects the way that that number is tabulated. But no question, it was the worst in this century, uh, is basically when we've been doing that number, and it was by far the worst, not just, you know, sort of sneaking ahead of one team here or there. I mean, they were lapping the field I think I compared him to a Secretariat at the Belmont on <laughs> in that chapter so it was definitely historic it's definitely a reason why the Ravens fans are a little chesty this summer because they assume things will just snap back to the way they were uh, before all the injuries hit and it's they certainly will be improved and having players the likes of the guys we mentioned on the field for the entirety of the season will obviously help them still as I write in the chapter there's a lot of other issues underlying all that and you can't just point to with the injuries and say that was the reason why they you know, collapse at the end of the season. And and that's not necessarily a reason why they're all of a sudden going to turn around and go 13 and four this year either. Uh, They realized they had some issues. They had six fourth round draft picks and used them all. I think that should tell you that what they thought about the guys in their reserve units and their depth pieces that they needed to improve similar to Cincinnati. When guys like that go down and you're not confident in the next wave of players that affects the team all the way through.
0: Our guest is Robert Weintraub from Football Outsiders and Cincinnati Magazine. You can follow him on Twitter at Rob Wine, W-E-I-N. Let's talk about the Bengals' offensive line improvements. We tend to look at that as, okay, now we can cut down on the sacks, and clearly that would be a good thing. Nobody would be bothered by that. But do you think that's the biggest way they stand to benefit by having a better offensive line?
2: Uh, It's definitely up there. Uh, There's no question about that. Uh, You know, we talk about the sacks and yes, they were 31st in our adjusted sack rate. Uh, They were also 31st in power situations, which is almost as important, you know, third down and short, fourth down and short. Uh, We don't have to bring up the super bowl to remember You got to convert in those situations. And the Bengals were second to last in the league at doing so. Uh, They also gave up by far the most in the league in terms of sacks when we marked it as rusher untouched, which essentially means somebody uh, did not pick up the blitzer or the the stunt, completely uh, kerfuffled the line, and it was all over for Joe. Basically, you eliminate sort of pick a number, 15 of those kind of plays of the sacks that he had to take or throw away the ball in key situations, handful of times where they convert on third and short where they didn't last year. These are the small things that Spell the difference throughout the season in winning or losing. They're the small things that affect our numbers in terms of terms of efficiency, and they're the small things that you know would wind up putting the Bengals back in the Super Bowl. They were, uh, in a lot of ways, much better in the playoffs defensively when you look at those the same stats and on special teams to a lesser degree, and that's a big reason why they went to the Super Bowl is because they played and came up in those timely situations on defense so often, game after game. And, you know, if the Bengals imports on the offensive line means that they have those similar improvements on offense, I think we're all pretty uh, sanguine about the abilities of the skilled players. You know, it's just a matter of how those guys are going to gel, the new players, the hard C's, as I call them, Kappa, Karis, <laughs> Collins, if they can all blend together, you know, the way we saw Kansas City's line, for example, blend together pretty rapidly last year uh, and avoid injuries, obviously. You know they don't have to become the best line in the league by any stretch. With the guys that uh, have the playmakers, Cincinnati has. You know all they have to do is get out of the bottom of the league and get into the 20s. That would be okay. Into the teens, uh, in terms of league ranking. Then again, it's similar to what we just talked about, the uh, the offense has you know a, a turbo boost and a uh, sky's the limit. There, there's no reason why they can't you know be at the top of the league in terms of points scored and efficiency. Uh, so there's a lot of riding on it. Those three imports are going to have a lot of light on them. I prefer to have seen their depth look a little bit better in the first preseason game, but, you know, it was only the first preseason game, a lot of room for improvement. And there's still, I think, moves to be made in terms of guys who are not on the team yet. Uh, No team is finished as we know until, you know, they, they say you can't make any more moves. So yes, I do think the offensive line, it's a cliche, but that's definitely the place where you look to first for an improvement in terms of the Bengals.
0: Let's talk about what the Bengals did in the draft, because one of the guiding principles in the Football Outsiders Almanac every year is that establishing the run is wrong. That's not the way to win football games. You pass to build the lead. It's a more efficient way of, of uh, scoring points. And then you run the ball to maintain the lead, to work the clock, et cetera. So in the draft, the Bengals go heavy on defensive backs to counter the modern passing game. What What did you think of that approach?
2: Yeah, I I think it made all the sense in the world. And I think it's all part of Lou Anarumo still, you know, he took a lot of last season to kind of figure out what worked, what didn't work. He was kind of a mad scientist, even as the season was going along. And I think he discovered something certainly hit on it toward the end of the season. And obviously in the playoffs, which was that having multi positional players who can do a lot of things in the secondary dropping eight players at a time or pretending to and bringing blitzers from the, where you don't know they're coming from. And, you know, obviously having a strong pass rush is a key to that too, but having guys who can run and who can play multiple positions in the secondary is it's, you know, the gold standard right now in the NFL. And I think you're seeing that around the league and the Bengals are right there at the forefront for once, which is nice. And uh, yeah, I think Dax Hill showed it just in his first game too, where he, you know, made a lot of plays. It's a heady guy. He can do a lot of things on the field. Uh, even as a rookie, they're giving him a lot of stuff to, you know, kind of take on his plate and call some secondary plays in the back end and be ready to take over at a moment's notice at every secondary position, which is obviously critical. Again, the depth that we keep referring to. Cam Taylor, and Tyson Anderson just fall into that same mold of guys. Obviously, they fit what the Bengals like to do. You've talked about it in your profiles of the draft there leaders they were college captains they're guys who are uh, kind of you know boisterous and and talkative dudes that all that all is great what they can really do is run and play uh, a lot of positions and hit and I think that's what Lou Anaruma wants to see and I think you know that the money is in the draft as we always talk about you know you can talk a good game uh, about any position but who you draft really defines the kind of team that you want to build and that's what the Bengals showed uh, with these picks no question
0: A few more questions for Robert Weintraub. So when you write for Football Outsiders, you do not do it from the perspective of a Bengals fan. But when you write for Cincinnati Magazine, it's a little bit different. (laughs) Yes. And immediately after the Super Bowl, you wrote the following, I am not over it. I will never be over it. That was February. How (laughs) are you doing six months later?
2: Uh, Not over it. (laughs) never going to be over it. I mean, listen, I think I mentioned this in the football outsiders too. Uh, You know, I go back to those eighties Super Bowls. I was a kid, but I still go back that far. And uh, it wasn't quite like those losses where the team was either the first or second best team in the league by consensus and they lost heartbreakers. And you got to think, wow, this is our, this is a great team that had their chance and maybe we're not going to have another one at least anytime soon. This felt, obviously, as we discussed before the Super Bowl, a lot different. This was much more of a rocket ship ride to the moon out of nowhere. It feels much more sustainable. Still got Joe Burrow on that all-important rookie contract. They're adding to the team. They have the you know three wide-out combo. That's the envy of the league. We just discussed the offensive line. The defense and special teams were the key to their run. They have a, a really good base and they have a really good, you know, team overall. We talked about how seventh in the AFC didn't uh, really float your boat necessarily. But listen, they're right up there. I think anybody would tell you, including me, that they're definitely a, uh, a playoff slash Super Bowl contender this season. So uh, I feel in that sense, you know, far more optimistic than I necessarily did after the other two Super Bowls. But you're in the Super Bowl. You had the ball. You're driving the field with seconds to play and a chance to win it. And you know that Jamar Chase is breaking wide open and you don't get that play pulled off. For that and various other reasons, you know, you just, you'll never, ever get that one back. And uh, it doesn't, I I know we talked about it before the game that I worried that losing in the Super Bowl would leave sort of a bittersweet taste uh, on that great ride that they had. And I don't think it necessarily did. I think most Bengal fans kind of took it pretty well. Maybe if they'd gotten slaughtered in the game, it would have been sort of ah, you know, they were pretenders after all, and just got lucky for a few weeks in the playoffs. I don't think they did that. They went toe to toe with the Super Bowl champs, showed that they could well have been Super Bowl champs, and maybe have a chance to do that now, if not this year, certainly in the next couple of years and uh, and beyond. So I, I feel good about that in the uh, in the macro sense, but uh, in the Micro sense, I will never be over it. No, absolutely not.
0: (laughs) Robert, at approximately this time last year, you wrote a fabulous profile of my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham for Cincinnati Magazine, the definitive Dave Lapham profile, which was great. What do we have to look forward to as the season approaches with the Bengals getting set to open up against the Steelers at home?
2: I was hoping to write the definitive Dan Horde profile, (laughs) but my editors say he's way too overexposed. Nobody would want to read that. They're correct. that's (laughs) accurate
0: your editors are correct Uh,
2: now what we have is a much more straightforward sense this year but a two-part uh bengals preview coming in cincinnati magazine so that'll show you how the bengals have you know gone up the stepladder in terms of importance in the cincinnati area last year i only wrote the one so we'll talk about you know everything we just talked about and more uh and you know i'm hoping to still write the definitive joe burrow profile we'll see if that actually happens we've put in our uh, request, but you know, that these things take time. I think Dave was certainly much more in terms of longevity and importance. The Cincinnati scene, low these many years, <laughs> deserved to be the man who came first. The great thing about the Bengals is now there's no shortage of uh, profile material, so you got a lot of guys, a lot of interesting personalities, and that goes for the front office too, uh, and the sideline. So, in that sense, the Bengals are in a great shape. Not only are they better on the field but they're much more interesting, you know, off the field. And that was a pretty much a definitive part of those great 80s teams that the city fell in love with and beyond as I was in New York at the time. Uh, But, you know, everybody loved the fact that the the team had a personality and they do again. And that's really key. It's not just that they win some ball games. Uh, You look at the Bengals and, and you immediately think of something. You think of that Joe Burrow swagger, those long balls to chase, hitting the gritty. Uh, all the other things that go with the Bengals and the fact that they have this sort of, you know, kind of rising profile in the league. They have the white helmets going, which is also a great touch. I was very happy to say that. I want to get that on record. Uh, And, you know, it's a team on the rise. Now they just have to have the winning continue to go along with that, whether it's in Paycor stadium or Paul Brown stadium, it all comes down to those W's. Hopefully they'll continue and go uh, match last year's effort with, one extra win attached to
0: it. Robert, as you once said of Joe Burrow, he oozes awesomeness out of every pore.
2: Indeed,
0: <laughs> That's still probably my all-time favorite line about Joe Burrow. And it's proven to be true.
2: It's, a, it's an understatement of anything. That's
0: the amazing <laughs> thing. Always great to catch up. Really enjoyed the chapter on the Bengals and football outsiders and always enjoy your work in Cincinnati magazine. Thanks so much for the time. And uh, last year we did it right before the Super Bowl, So hopefully I'll be reaching out again then.
2: Absolutely. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. Thanks so much, Dan. Really appreciate it.
0: Before getting to my next guest, here's a reminder that the Bengals booth podcast is presented by ultimate Bengals, the free to play fantasy football game. This past season, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the year with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Offensive lineman Desmond Noel is an undrafted rookie out of Florida Atlantic who grew up in Cincinnati. According to Pro Football Focus, he was in for 10 pass-blocking snaps in Week 1 of the preseason and did not allow a sack, hit, or hurry and pff was not the only source to give him a solid grade desmond when it comes to offensive line play i defer to dave lapham he's the expert in our radio booth lap thought you played really well in your nfl preseason debut last week how did you feel about it
3: um I felt really good. I mean obviously there's always things to clean up and improve on my game um coming from lapland that that means a lot. I'm excited about that <laughs> so um hopefully, I just keep working and just keep taking advice from these coaches and do what i'm coach to do and um it'll it'll turn out how I want. You're a Cincinnati kid out of Colerain
0: High School. How big was the rooting section for that first preseason game? Uh,
3: a, lot, a lot of tickets, a lot of people there rooting for me, not just in the family and friends section, just just in general, though. Um, you know, I try to stay in touch with everybody in the community that I knew from the past with Colerain. So um, it was crazy. It was a dream out there, for sure, for the first game.
0: Did I read correctly that mom is within walking distance of Pecor
3: Stadium? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> she's living downtown, so she's really close, really active. <laughs>
0: Was it surreal for you to take the field in a Cincinnati Bengals uniform being from here?
3: Yeah, that's not even the word. I Mm. I really couldn't even explain the type of feeling I was getting. Um, I mean, I've been to so many games, seen so many players play on this field. And um, just to be on the field and actually get to play, actually get to get in and get some reps, it it was crazy. It'll be a memory that I'll always hold with me for sure.
0: We're visiting with offensive lineman Desmond Noel. There have been some Bengals legends at training camp. Anthony Munoz talked to the O line. Willie Anderson addressed the team. Chad Johnson has been here. Mm-hmm. Does that make you feel like a kid again when you see those guys?
3: <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I mean, you know, when, when I was a kid, like I, I've said before, like I always thought I had a legitimate side of making the league, but, you know, playing for the Bengals is just crazy. To, so to see all these legends come and, and give us uh, wise words, um, it's unreal. It's unreal.
0: The goal is obviously to make the team, mm-hmm. but is the goal within the goal to make the practice squad initially stick with the team, continue to develop, continue to learn, and ultimately hope to get a shot at the regular roster
3: um yeah, I think so, I think that's the direction, but you know at the end of the day, like uh, like i said i'm just going to do what i'm coached to do, and uh, whatever position they feel like uh, they want to put me in, you know I'm just going to keep working, you know whatever I can do for the team, whatever role they want me to play, I'll play that role so. Is
0: an NFL training camp more or less what you expected, or is it different in any way?
3: Um, it's a little bit different. You know, in college, they really, depending on what college you go to, they really try to beat you up, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, now in this uh, in the league, you know, camp is just, they want to see something. They want to see you work. You know, they want to see your talents uh, on the field. So it's not necessarily, you know, them try to beat you up and uh, physically like that. But um, the mental game is, is a, it's a lot deeper, obviously. The playbook is, is deep. The... Uh, the semantics, everything is a lot deeper so that adds a whole new aspect to the game.
0: We're chatting with Desmond Noel what do you think of Frank Pollock?
3: Great coach, Uh, even you know when you got the the legends come through like uh, Munoz talked to us as a group um, and he just thinks he's a great coach, you know he thinks that we could be a a really great O-line as long as we just do do what we coach to do and just listen listen to Pollock so I think he's a great coach for sure. This might come as a surprise, but I once had red hair. When
0: I was young and had hair, it was red. You have very bright red hair. Were you an Andy Dalton guy as a result?
3: I mean, I don't know if I was an Andy Dalton guy. You know, maybe I related to him a little Mm -hmm. bit. had the same kind of nicknames and stuff like that. Um, But, yeah, I watch Andy Dalton a lot. You know what I mean? He's definitely a player I looked up to uh, when I was younger. So, yeah. So if he was the red rifle, what were you? <laughs> whatever they would have called me, you know, I don't <laughs> put names on my subs, whatever they, whatever you guys want to call me.
0: So it's a road game this week yeah. in New York mm-hmm. against the Giants. You'll have the the whole experience of traveling with an NFL team, yeah. taking the field in a road stadium that you've seen
3: a million times on TV. Is that a, a especially exciting prospect for you? Definitely. Uh just being able to get on the road with the with the team is in itself uh very cool, uh, a dream and within itself. So um, I'm excited to see how it goes. You know how everything is set up, how they how they run uh, their team on the road, and yeah, we'll see. I'm excited for it. All right. Well, number 62, Dave Lapham back in the day,
0: gave number 60 Desmond Noel his stamp of approval in week one. Uh, best of luck in having another uh, excellent performance, and I appreciate your time.
3: I appreciate you. Thank you. Sunday's game at
0: Bedlife Stadium starts at seven o'clock. Our pregame coverage on the Bengals radio network will begin. At five thirty, finally, time to discuss the latest training camp developments with Bengals.com editor Jeff Butch Hobson. All right, Butch, let's start with Joe Burrow. He's practiced a couple of times. Looks like he dropped a few pounds, but other than that, looks normal. Can we safely say at this point that they didn't really miss a beat as a team, and that they should be okay going forward? You know, we haven't seen him
4: with the team yet. You know, and uh, let's, it will be. I remember how it was. Last year, maybe it was because, you know, of his rehab and everything, but the, it's kind of like watching, you know, making sausage made, <laughs> kind of watching offense get going, you know, with a new with, when the quarterback comes back and the pads are on. And it never just, no matter who it is, it never seems to look uh, good early. And now maybe last year that was just because, you know, Joe was coming off the, you because know, remember we all remember how the first couple practices, everybody looked a little bit out of sync. So... But I think they're farther along now, you know. But I just think probably it's, uh, you know, it just seems like uh, I kind of, we've kind of seen this movie before. He'll go out there and he'll probably be, you know, he'll have a good first day. He might go down the next day. You know, it's going to be like watching the stock market and everybody's going to be petrified and uh, uh, I think he'll be fine. But, I mean, I think it's just going to take – Take time. What's interesting to me, Horty, is and this kind of plays into the borough question is, you know, we may this may be the first preseason ever where we don't see a starting player, even for even for a couple snaps. I mean, that seems to be where it's trending. So, uh, you know, I don't. I, I just think it's going to be it's going to be kind of interesting how this thing unfolds. They play the Giants
0: this Sunday. Their final preseason game is against the Rams the following week at Paycor Stadium. But they're going to have two joint practices with the Rams before that game. Do you think that those have basically become the preseason games for the starters? I absolutely
4: do think that. And I think we may be getting a glimpse of the future if we haven't seen it already. Maybe to, you know I think it's been going on the last couple of years kind of quietly behind the scenes. But I think it's interesting that the guy who's kind of at the forefront of this, of protecting players and taking it really light, Sean McVeigh, Zach Taylor you know, mentored under him and, and with the Rams, took a lot, you know, copied a lot of the pro, you know, you're kind of looking at mirror programs. That's what made the Super Bowl so interesting, the way they run this thing and the fact that they're kind of got the last tune-up before the the season opener, I think is kind of ironic because I don't think, I think exactly what you said. I think the games are probably going to be played Tuesday or whenever it is, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever the practices are, those two practices, those I don't think we'll see anybody in the game. I don't know that may change, but uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And it's interesting that the two guys, you know, that McVay is here, and uh, he's kind of he, he kind of thinking lot, kind of he made that a, a bit of a fashion when they when they became so successful. So it's interesting to see the uh, the kind of looking kind of looking in the mirror here. He's a pretty good guy to copy. Two Super Bowl trips, yeah. including a Super Bowl title, before the age of 40. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I was talking to somebody who said uh, kind of, uh, it was a snark comment, said, uh, you know, just because you stand next to Sean McVeigh, what's that mean? Well, it means a hell of a lot because of just of what you said, what he's accomplished it, but I think even more impressively is how he's done it. And this is where I tip my hat to Zach because I think Zach has, has seen the future and what it means and how to handle players, and I think he's done a hell of a job with that. I really do think he's... Uh, Really done a great job. He did a great job last year, getting the guys to the gate. I thought he did a good job in the pandemic. He can I mean, nobody, nobody had coached in a in a in a once in a hundred year pandemic. You know, the last guy who did it was George Halas for the nineteen in the nineteen twenty <laughs> pandemic. Nobody known how to do it, right? So, and I thought he did a good job. They didn't have a good record, but I thought he got everybody to the gate, and uh, you know, and I think he learned he learned it on the McVay. So I I listen, listen the guys. What you said, uh, so so successful uh, before the age of forty. I mean, he's got to be successful. They're building a statue of him in Miami of Ohio, so he he must be good. But yeah, no, I think uh, the fact that Zach did stand next to McVeigh, I think is in his in, is in his favor. Let's
0: turn to the offensive line. Four of the five projected starters did not play against Arizona, but most of the guys who did play didn't have a stellar night against the Cardinals. Is that a concern at this early juncture or is that par for the course when you're talking about second and third string offensive linemen?
4: Well I think it's probably in one spot you're, you're talking about uh, you know you'd, they'd like to see probably Jackson Carmen pr- probably transfer transfer what he's done in practice because he's practiced very well they'd like to you know probably we're hoping he would you know uh, transition a little bit better into a game situation but I I think with Jackson I mean he's so under the microscope I think he had you know he had some bad plays I think they all had some bad plays I also think he had some good plays so this rush to you know sentence Jackson Carmen to the uh, to the dustbin I think is a bit is a bit premature you know I think again this is another thing where uh, you know every day is uh, every hour now is brings stunning breaking news, and we have to react to it, you know. And so it's, but I think this is going to be a, again, the practices are probably just as important, maybe more important than the games. They got about seven or eight of those left to get the two games. So I think, uh, you know, I do, you know, I was, and uh, in, in you know, in, in you know this hoardy because you watch it with lap and. And uh, you think maybe a guy didn't play particularly well, and then you talk to the coaches, and uh, you know, like like Trey Hill. I think I think they like what I think they like how Trey Hill's trending, and he's a key guy because you know he's going to have to play both you know center and guard, backing up Ted Karras at center. So you know, I think uh, you know, yeah, I think there's always concern, particularly around this offensive line, given the history of the last you know year, and uh, but I think. Uh, there you know it's uh you know it's my this is where i this is the time of year i always pull out the kevin bacon line in animal house uh, you know remain calm (laughs) (laughs) you know uh, (laughs) so i mean if we're having this discussion on labor day you know yeah but i still think we've got a ways to go
0: talking to coaches and scouts Off the record, they basically say exactly what you were saying about Jackson Carmen. It wasn't bad on every snap. There were a couple of glaring ones that you could see replayed ad nauseum on TV or on Twitter, whatever. But there were good things in the game. And the things that he did poorly... Are very correctable. So let's not bury him based on a half of a game against uh, the Cardinals. On the other hand, the Bengals' offensive, or the highest graded offensive lineman, at least according to PFF, was Cordell Volson. They gave him a 74.8. So what do you think happens this week? Does Volson get the opportunity to start? Uh, Obviously, he practiced with the ones this week, and and Jackson
4: has a wrap on his elbow. That's what it would seem. You know, it seemed to be they just switch it, I think, maybe. Uh, You know, Volson gets his thirty or so snaps in the first half. Jackson goes in the second. That would seem to be where it's trending. I know. I don't think they're too. uh, You know, I don't think they're too into the. uh, Well, we got to play. You know, we got to play them against better competition or whatever. Because I think they feel like they're getting that out here. Right. You know, and I think uh, uh, that you know they're going against the ones he's going against. You know defensive is pretty good now that Bengals defensive line is good and something that Volson told me that I thought was interesting he thought that uh, the, tra- the training camp practices really prepared him well for the game as far as the speed and everything like that and he thought it was uh, you know it, it, obviously it's different than North Dakota you know it's, that's, it's a big gap but he was prepared for that he was prepared for that switch which I found kind of interesting so I think it tells me too how important the practices are, because Zach is running them. You know, Zach, Zach, I, I thought he delved into that. That was kind of interesting the other day when he was talking about why he wanted to go two days with pads and then take a day, you know, take a day off from the field and then go at it. again, You know, go hard for two days and then back off. And uh, I think you play faster, mm-hmm. you practice faster, you know. And so I think that's, and I think you can see that maybe in what Volson was saying, and Volson looked pretty good. It has been interesting to watch that in
0: this camp because with that philosophy now of two days in pads and a day off, they really get after it on those two days. It's not like a few periods are kind of physical and then they back way down. They're going hard
4: for two solid days in pads and then have that recovery day. And you know, even in, even in the back end on seven and seven, you know, they're chicken fighting. They're going they're going for mm-hmm. You know, big time. I mean, that's a uh, that's what I thought was kind of nice to see the uh, on Monday with T. Higgins uh, was going up and being physical with that shoulder. You know, that's his game. You know, and it was it was good to see that in another kind of practice. You might not see that. Oh, back off of him and all that and everything. So, it is an interesting approach, and and it's uh, uh, it's kind of uh, you know it is it it, it it is. And the bottom line is, it's getting them ready for what they'll see on the 11th.
0: As listeners have already heard on this podcast, we. Listen to Kendrick Pryor, who had a great preseason debut, four catches, 89 yards, and a touchdown. Can he or Kwame Kwame Lassiter make the 53-man roster barring an injury, or are they trying to
4: secure spots on the practice squad? Yeah, I think uh, Lassiter's got the best shot, I think, because he can return, Uh, but uh, he would have to Doing Alex Erickson and you know go crazy on three punts because it's going to be hard to blow Trent Taylor out of there. Particularly, I thought how well he played from scrimmage uh, in the opener against Arizona. I mean, he he showed why they love him because he's just reliable. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, it, it's a tougher climb for Pryor because Pryor doesn't return. You know, I think I, I think they'd like to keep six receivers, which I find interesting since they are such a. Uh, they're, they're a three-receiver team. You'd think they keep seven, but you know they want to keep it at six, and because I think they want to keep some extra stuff for you know defensive and offensive linemen. But you know if Prior, what if Prior plays like he did you know the next two games? You know, you might have to go with seven receivers. Maybe if he's that, if he's that good, if he's really that developing that that well. But uh, that's a tough room. You know, uh, uh, that's a tough room. I think they're going for practice. I think they're going for practice squad spots and there's nothing wrong with that because you know Stanley Morgan came out of there and has become a solid player you know now I think they're also looking on the, on the other end of it I think they'd also probably like to like to upgrade a little bit that first guy off the bench but you know Mike Thomas is a fine player too I mean I, I don't think you're going to find much better than Mike Thomas out there who knows the system they really trust him and that's a big thing coaches trust Mike Thomas he's a good teams player so you know I don't, don't poo-poo him being the fourth because I, I think he'd be high pressed to do much better than that if you wanted to you know if you wanted to go around the league and find something and Stanley is solid as the 5th uh you know they probably like to see him do a little bit more from scrimmage but he's such a solid team's player and then you go you know that that sixth guy is probably going to be Taylor cuz he's such a good returner but if Kwame you know if Kwame blows him out then he would get the job but that like I said that's a hard that's going to be a hard number and maybe prior maybe and maybe prior makes him keep seven
0: I think Trent Taylor's also having a really good camp. It's not just the preseason game. I mean, he was targeted four times and had four catches, so he couldn't have done any better than that against the Cardinals. But when I watch these wide receiver drills, he looks like he's got the best short space quickness of any guy on that receiving core. And he didn't play a big role as a receiver last year. He wasn't active until – the final four games of the season, I don't think, and then the postseason. But when they needed a two-point conversion yeah. to tie the Cardinals in the playoffs, that's the guy they went to.
4: No, there's no question. And I, I think on the other side of the ball, you got a guy like Clay Johnston. He made one. He was on the field for one play in the playoff game, and he and he stopped the King Derrick Henry on a two-point conversion that probably got him into the AFC Championship game. And now a guy like that, he's got a tough, nut, too at linebacker, but uh, you know performing down the stretch in situations like that, pretty hard to get guys out of here, so Johnston I think is a, you know, you, you got to think about him as a possible fifth backer or, you know, he'll stay here on the practice squad but then of course you have the, the universal question, would a guy like uh, would guys like Lasseter prior with their tape and Johnston with his tape, who has good tape, would they survive, you know uh, the cut down or would they get claimed? Always a concern,
0: year after year, no question. Also, I think I uh, misspoke and said the Cardinals when I meant the Chiefs, referring to the uh, Trent Taylor two-point conversion. Let's uh, get to some news of the week. Second-year rush end, Wyatt Hubert announced his retirement. He's been injured nonstop, unfortunately, uh, since being drafted in the seventh round last year. Undrafted offensive lineman Ben Brown suffered a season-ending torn pectoral, so we're not going to see him this year. Tight end Drew Sample is walking around in a knee brace. It's going to be a couple of weeks probably for him. Backup tight end Mitchell Wilcox has been in a walking boot after twisting his ankle or hurting his foot. I'm not sure which in the preseason opener. Cam Taylor Britt hasn't practiced for several days because of a, more, a core muscle a problem. Do you see the Bengals having to uh, you know, go out and get somebody
4: at, at one of these spots just to add depth to the roster? I think even probably before Wilcox got hurt, I think probably they were looking at to uh, upgrade a little bit at tight end. Um, and I think that's what they're doing right now. They're trying to upgrade the final. How, how do you do that? Can you upgrade uh, uh, that final spot? You know, and, uh, you know, I think uh, see how long Taylor Britt's out, you know, and see what their reaction is. I think they'd like to, you know, before they made a move, I think there, I mean, see how long Brits you know, is he, is he, is he going to be back in three days or – three months I have no idea I don't know we haven't seen him so uh, I think that's why all these guys are playing you know all these guys are you know what you need now is right is is, right that's what you're looking for is a fifth corner right behind Trey Flowers who's your fourth so um, I you know uh, I think if the, you know, if you, can you upgrade over what you've got with the, with the rookie, you know, with the Allen Georges and the Delonte Hoods. And uh, if you can't upgrade, they would do it. But I, like I said, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think we're there yet. I think, you know, they got to find out more about Taylor Britton. And they got to find out more about, you know, how these other kids are playing. But I think tight end, I think is something, that's a spot they've always been, I think, trying to really upgrade there. And, um, and I think it's, you know, I, uh, with the offensive line, I, I think what Brown at best probably would have been on the practice squad. And it's too bad. They like him. I think they think he's got a pretty good future. So, uh, that that's too bad that he uh, probably going to lose a year on the practice squad, but I'm not sure they make a move there either because it's a pretty, it's a pretty full, you know, it's pretty full there right now. You also have an issue right
0: now where every NFL team has nearly 90 guys on the roster. So the pool of players that could actually help your team during the season probably, isn't great until cut down day Uh, you can you know always claim guys that are out there at that point and also pull off a a trade just before the start of the season much like they did last year to get B.J. Hill so maybe that's when they eventually fill some of that depth uh, after teams have determined you know who they can no longer keep on their 53-man
4: rosters yeah I think we're talking about we're talking about september decisions really i mean labor day decisions because now the way the wave i think it's uh, Horty, if i'm if I'm not mistaken it's kind of it's kind of pushed back a little bit in that well pushed back up or or however you want to look at it but they've got some extra time now between after the last preseason mm-hmm. game and before the you know open i think they got two full weeks so you know i think historically it'd have been nine or ten. So they've got some time to play with there. And as you noted, they uh, did the B.J. Hill-Billy Price deal at that time. But, you know, I think it, 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 that will give them enough time. The, the, the three preseason games and all those practices that we're talking about, it's going to give them enough time to make them evaluate their own guys and if they've got to go get somebody. I'm going to make a prediction for you, by the way.
0: The Cleveland Browns have lost two centers with uh, season-ending injuries, apparently in training camp. Billy
4: Price yeah. is still out there. Yeah. What if he winds up in Cleveland? That's amazing that Billy Price is still out there. I think I thought he was. A, I thought he was okay here. I really was. Um, I think the worst thing that can happen to a guy get drafted in the first round because you're supposed to be Superman or something. And if you're just a solid player, that doesn't help you. You know, um, it's, it. It be interesting if uh, with uh, Cleveland if uh, they show up and. Uh, we play them, and they've got uh, uh, and they've got Percet and Billy and, and Billy Price as their uh, is their center. I mean, it's uh, you can't. That's why you can't. Uh, all these inter- all these predictions, these these this preseason stuff. It's 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 a. Uh, you can maybe do it in baseball, whether just or basketball, or it, it just seems like football is even though it's the ultimate team game, it seems to be the one most affected by personnel. You know, by injuries. Sure. It's, it's it's really. Uh, So it's just uh, you know that's why I think again it goes back to how you started the the, you know this interview with me is getting Burrow ready. That's the to me that's the story. If you can if you can get to the gate with your team intact, you got a shot. You know I mean you got I mean you know it's not like baseball where if you get healthy to the gate, you know five teams have a chance. You know pretty much if you get a you know pretty much. Get to the, the gate intact in the NFL. Get a shot at making the playoffs if you got a half decent club. So I think you know. And, and you know this. You go. You read. You read the headlines every. You know every hour on the hour looking at it. Somebody goes down. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean Zach Wilson. There. That is. They're going to be. It, they're going to be issuing bulletins in New York today on Zach Wilson's. Surgery—it's going to be like the James Garfield uh, medical updates. You know, uh, when he was uh, shot, the president of the United States. They're going to—you know, is, is it going to be two to four weeks, or is there more damage? You know, you know what? Maybe, maybe he shouldn't have played. You know, I mean, I just—I just—you I just, uh, know, yeah, I know he's got to develop and all that stuff, but uh, you know, wow, get your club to the gate.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Ultimate Bengals